0: Your Bibles, Uh, let's get ready to start. You ready to go? All right. It is hardwired in every person to want to make a difference in the world. You ask young people, if you ask teenagers and people in their 20s and 30s and on up in age, what do you want to do? Inevitably, the response has to do with making a difference in the world. I want to make a difference in my family, in the job that I work at, in my church, in my community. I, I, want to make a, I want to leave the world a better place than when I arrived. That's hardwired in every person because we are as people made in the image of God who makes a difference. And so we want to make a difference. Another word we can use is impact. We want to make an impact. We begin to think about questions about our family. We want to make an impact in our marriage and with our children. If we were to think about the illustration of sports... What is the purpose of sports is to make an impact or win the game or win the championship. And then many people will use that to make a greater impact with their testimony about Christ or with the money that they make in, in helping other people. But we want to make an impact. As Christians, we many times begin to think about what can I get in order to make an impact? Can I read a book that will help me? Can I go to a seminar, be a part of a church, a life group, a ministry? What can I do or receive or get that will help me make a better impact with my family, my church, with my community, and on out? We're talking about the ingredients of impact or rather the investment to make an impact though we think about many things that we want or need in order to make that change in the world or that impact, I think there's one ingredient that we overlook intentionally and for good reason because we really don't like it. But there's an ingredient that God wants to work in our lives that will make a big impact or lead to an impact, and that is setback. Setbacks actually lead to impact but we don't like setbacks do we we don't like the fact that we're we're going we're moving and all of a sudden something happens and we're we're knocked back at best maybe we're just stalled for a time we don't like setbacks but yet they do lead to impact it was 1978 President Jimmy Carter was in the White House. We were in a huge recession. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying those are the facts. It was not a good time for business. And there was a 57-year-old man who had spent his entire career climbing up the ladder, growing and moving ahead. And now he's in a high-level management position at a hardware store in California called Handy Dance. And he's doing well. But we're in a recession The company's not doing well, and so they bring in a consultant, and this consultant's general motive of operation was to say, just eliminate upper management. Just knock those guys out, and then kind of start over from the grassroots. So in 1978, this man loses his job. Bernie is now out of a job at 57 years old. But he knew another guy named Arthur, and they were both in that industry, and they decided to create and and to start their own hardware store and so in later that year they started a hardware store they happened to name it Home Depot He didn't like the setback but it caused and led to a great impact John Maxwell says this about impacts uh, about setbacks setbacks motivate setbacks create resilience they develop maturity they provide greater opportunities and setbacks prompt innovation. God has called you and I as Christians to make an impact in the world. He said this, go into all the world and make an impact. He said it this way. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and heal the sick and perform miracles and lay hands on people and anoint them with oil and speak words of blessing to them and speak words of truth to them to make an impact. He tells us in John 14, 12, he said, those who believe in me, the works that I do, they also will do and greater works than these they will do because I'm going to the father. Now, that's a bodacious statement, isn't it? That's bold because he's saying these, these things that you've seen me do, that's, that's what you're going to do, but they're even going to be greater works now, there's, there's, a, there's a real eye-opener statement, isn't it? What he's saying is, I'm, I'm in one body right now. I'm, this, is, this is who I am, and I'm here. But there's coming a day when the Spirit of God is going to be in millions of people spread out all over the globe. And as each one of them are moving forward, making an impact on other people's lives, the exponential impact is going to be greater than just one person in one place during one season of time that's what God has called us to do. We are not spectators of the kingdom. We are participants in the kingdom. We are in the kingdom because the King is in us. Now let's draw a distinction for a moment for our talk today. And that is there are many kinds of setbacks. I mentioned a couple earlier. We can, we can say uh, you get fired or you get laid off. The company shifts and changes. Or maybe there's a, one of your children is just kind of in a state or a season of rebellion, and you think, oh, man, our progress has been stopped. Or, you know, maybe a storm comes and hits, you know, knocks a tree over, and it hits your house, and, well, wow, that's a setback. We had a setback in our life a couple of years ago. It was the last Sunday of 2020 when we had a pillow that was being washed in our washing machine that just decided to flip out, almost literally, And as it flipped up like this, the water that was supposed to be going down into the tub of the washing machine decided, no, we're going to bounce off and go out of the washing machine. It wanted to visit the basement. (laughs) And it did. Well, that created a setback, believe me. But our house is so much more beautiful now because we had a setback. And I just walked away going, well, it is the last Sunday of 2020. And, you know, what do you (laughs) really expect? But those are not the kind of setbacks that I want us to hone in on today. We're going to look at a most serious setback, and that is the setback of our own sin. Not the setback of somebody else making a decision that affected us, but actually the setback of our own decisions. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all on equal territory there, aren't we? And that's the setback that I want to talk about, because many times that kind of setback is the one that we go, oh, no, God really can't love me because look what I did. Or I I could never be accepted in this group because, wow, look look what I did. Look at the decision that I made. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I decided that. And we can fall into a real regression that we can stay in. But God has a better plan for our life than that. You have your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John in uh, chapter number 18. We're going to look at the life of the apostle, uh, the disciple that uh, was following Jesus with great passion, the apostle Peter. Peter loved God so much. I mean, he was just all in with Jesus. He was one of the first to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. He's the only one that I've heard of that walked on water. It may have happened since then, but the only one I know of that walked on water. He was so in that when Jesus came and said, I'm going to wash your feet, Peter said, no, that that's not cool. That, I don't like that. And Jesus said, well, then, I'll, you know, I have nothing to do with you. He goes, oh, not just my feet then. You you wash my everything. He was like either all out or all in. And when it came to Jesus, he was all in. And we see that passion and we love that passion. And yet what we find is that Peter, in the most critical moment of Jesus' life here on this earth, we know what Peter did. He denied Christ three times. Look there in uh, John 18 verse 17. This question is asked of Peter while Jesus has been arrested and is now being uh, quarantined, tortured, so forth. The question is asked, "You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you?" She asked Peter, and he replied, "I am not." You'll skip down there to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. And so they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too? And they said, he denied it and said, no, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The very sign that Jesus had given Peter After he would deny him three times. You talk about a setback. We're not talking about a little water that finds the basement. We're talking about rejecting, denying that you even know Jesus. But now wait a minute. Because that's not the final thing in Peter's life. If you fast forward 53 days after that event... He denies Jesus three times in just the span of a few hours, but 53 days later, he's standing, if you will, on a corner in Jerusalem with thousands, thousands, and thousands of people there being represented by at least 15 different nationalities. And Peter proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ and 3000 people are immediately received the miracle of salvation. Here we've got a guy that has, that created his own setback. And yet 53 days later, he's preaching and thousands are born again. But what happened that caused his setback to actually lead to an impact? In other words, setback can become a comeback that leads to impact. And that's what Peter experienced. But what does God want us to do with our setbacks. How do we overcome in those situations? Instead of getting stuck, we move forward. What does God want us to do with our setbacks? Number one is we've got to lean into it. In other words, we've got to fully embrace the fact that, you know what? It was me. Now, I just have a question for you parents. Um, Whenever your child does something wrong and they know that they've just broken the rules, you set down the rules and they broke the rules, and then you come for the investigation, you know, you're going to do the inquiry, and uh, you say, hey, man, who did this? Wasn't me. It was him. It was her. Wasn't me. What do you want your children? You want your children to go, it was me, Mom. It was me. And why do you want that? Because you want the restor- You want a restoration there. You You want to go, look, dude, you broke the rules. But I don't want that to be... The very event that causes a separation in our relationship, I want us to come back together again. That's why we want a confession. And wise parents know how to get good confessions, right? That's what we want, because we want the best for our children. And that's what God wants. He wants us to actually lean into those setbacks and say, hey, I own it. It was me. I did that. And that's what the apostle Peter did. It says when the rooster crowed, and it was that sign, hey... You know, you did it. And what the Bible says is that Peter went out and wept with great passion. He wept bitterly. What he was doing was saying, hey, it was me. I did it. I really did it. I thought I never would. I promised Jesus I would never leave him. And I did it. Denied him three times. And he said, I own it. It was me. I did it. And that's what God's calling us to do is to actually lean into it. And some of us find that difficult, though, don't we? Come on. Some of us find that difficult. Have you ever met one of those people? We'll just change the have you ever met one of those people that it was difficult for? That they they just can't, they just can't own up to it. They just can't go, it was me. Or if they do, they say, well, well, it's because. It it, it because he did, because she, because they, because instead of just saying I did it. And I, I would ask you the question. Why do we do that? Why, why don't we just come out and just say, yeah, I did it? Are we afraid? Are we afraid of rejection? Was that modeled in front of us? Is that the way we were raised? We were around people who said, hey, yeah, and I, and I, I never did it. I've never done anything. I've you know, it was somebody else. And it was modeled in front of us. Or perhaps as a child, we went to our parents and said, hey, it, my, my, I want to I acknowledge it was me. I did it. And instead of receiving the grace and the love that you were expecting in that moment, what did you receive? What you received was much different. And it wasn't fun. And it wasn't encouraging. And it it wasn't building. It was tearing down. And so the natural inclination is to do what? Well, if that's what you get when you acknowledge what you've done wrong, let's not do that again. And then we start a pattern Of saying, no, I'm I'm never going to confess anything like that again. we got to lean into it. That Jesus and his disciples dealt with this issue in Matthew chapter 18. The disciples come to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, we've got a question for you. Um, I said, if somebody comes up and slaps me on the face, okay, I'm supposed to forgive them. Okay. But what if they do it again and again? And let's say Jesus, they do it like seven times in just one day. How many times am I supposed to forgive them? Like seven? And Jesus said, yeah, that's a great number, but let's times 70. Let's take seven times 70 in one day. What was he trying to communicate? He was trying to say, forgiveness is the key to successful living. Forgiveness is the key that when somebody comes and, and, and of, of, offends you like that, if something happens, just forgive. And he's saying that's the way God is. That's a pattern of what God is. You're, you're just mimicking God when you forgive people. And he's wanting them to know God is a forgiving God. He's, he's not going to hold a grudge. He's not going to say, well, I'll forgive you if you do something you got to do something good, and then God doesn't do that. He says, if you come to me, I will forgive you. We see in this the heart of God that wants forgiveness and restoration, and that's where it is found, in Christ. Forgiveness and restoration. Perhaps there was something that you did many years ago, and you just really haven't come clean with it, and you know in the back of your mind that's just gnawing at you, and it comes up at different times. It's a setback that keeps you set back. What God is saying to you today, if you'll own it and confess it, he is going to forgive you immediately. It's found in 1 John 1.9. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of us have enjoyed the pleasure and goodness of God when we've come to him and said, God, I did it. And he goes, I forgive it. That's who God is. That's why Jesus went to the cross so that he would forgive us of our sins. But the second thing we've got to do is not only just really lean into it, but also we've got to learn from it. We had a setback. We did something wrong. We sinned. We broke God's rules. Okay, we lean into it. We own it. But now we've got to learn from it. you got to ask the question, why do I do this? Why, why, why did I do that? What's going on in my life? Am I trying to medicate the pain that's in my life? Am I I trying to do something to make inside of me feel better, but the thing that I'm choosing to do is a sin? It's wrong. It's it's not going to draw me closer to God. Are we trying to medicate the pain inside of our lives? Are we trying to retaliate against someone else? Well, they made me mad, so I will. Are we trying to cover our insecurities? I don't want anyone to know what I'm really like, so I do these things because they'll think I'm cool. They'll think I'm smart or they'll think I'm whatever. We're not owning our own life. Are we afraid of truly being known? That if we were to admit that we did something wrong, what will they think about me? If we confess to God that we did something wrong, what is he going to think about us? Why do we do that? We've got to learn from these problems. We've got to learn from these setbacks. And this is where we see the heart of God, that he patiently walks through us. He patiently walks with us through all of the good and the bad. He patiently walks alongside of us and says, okay, listen, we're starting this journey. You just got born again. What you don't know, I know you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to slip. You're going to do what's wrong. But I want you to know I'm with you. That's why he promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, even to the end of the age. Now, that's an assuring confirmation promise that God's given us that says, hey, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. We learn from it. we got to lean into it, and we got to learn from it before we get to number three. Many times people want to skip one and two to get to this next one, number three, but you can't do that. You can't get to three until you pass through one and two. got to lean into it, acknowledge it, then you got to say, what can I learn from this? And then you can get to step number three, and that's leave it we got to take our setbacks and own them, learn from them, and then we got to leave them. we got to leave them far behind us and say, okay, I'm not going to get stuck there. I'm leaving that behind me, and I'm going to press on. I'm not giving up. And that's what repentance really means. Repentance means turning away. It means I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, but that's wrong. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn and go the other way. We see this illustrated in the parable that probably is one of the most popular, well-known parables of all that Jesus made. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Here's a father, he has two sons. The younger one says, I don't want to wait for the inheritance. Give Give me the stuff now. Give me the money now. And the father gives it to him. And a couple days later, man, the young guy, he's gone. He's like, dude, I'm leaving the ranch. This is boring. I'm going to where the excitement is. Takes all of his money. He goes, the Bible says, to a far country. And boy, he lives the high life. He is doing it, man. He's, he's just going for it. And it was fun until it wasn't. Yeah, don't respond to this, but have you ever been there? You know, it's like, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything. But yeah, I mean, you know, he was living it up, but then the, run, the money runs dry, and then what happens? Well, then he's scrambling, man. He's like, man, I'm not near family. I'm not near home. I'm not near anybody, and I'm, what am I going to do? i got to live. i got to eat. What am I going to do? And he finds himself this good Jewish young man feeding pigs. I don't know you even know the answer to this question. I don't even know if I know the answer to this question, but what do we feed pigs now? I can only imagine what they fed them 2,000 years ago. You know what I mean? And he's feeding pigs, of which he's not even supposed to really associate with. You know what I mean, being a good Jewish guy? He's feeding them, and he he actually says he kind of wants to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs, but He can't do that because that's the pig's food. But what does he do? He makes a decision. I'm going to own it. He said, I have sinned against God and against my father. He owned it right then. And then he learned from it. He said, you know what? My my father's hired servants have plenty to eat. And I'm sitting here starving. You know what he did next? He left it. He said, I'm out of here. And he said, I'm going back to dad. I'm moving on. I am not going to stay here. What if he would have said, I did it. And man, my father's got hired servants that had plenty to eat, but I'm stuck here. I'll just have to make the best of it where I'm at. Uh, Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll just, I'll make a way. Well, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? I'd be like, wait a minute, what's this guy doing? But how many of us hold on to that place of setback and we get used to it and we get comfortable with it and we develop a system in which we can survive, but in just surviving, we don't learn how to thrive. And when we thrive is when we turn away from our setbacks and we go, okay, that was momentary. That was a, that was a skip. That was a weird thing. I shouldn't have done it. I own it. I learned from it and I'm leaving it and I'm moving on so that God can use me to make an impact in my family, church, community, and the world. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about impact when we own our mistakes and we learn from them and we leave them, God is saying, I'm ready to use you to make a greater impact than would have been before. Because now you understand life more, you understand God's forgiveness and his patient, patiently walking with you. And so we're able then to minister to more people. Can I just kind of, bear a section of my heart before you today as a young minister i was pretty arrogant and i i just thought man serving jesus is it and go for it and man if you're a pastor you should be doing this and that and you know i knew everything and i couldn't understand why you know older pastors were kind of the way they were some of them and i was just trying to figure this thing out and then i had some setbacks I had some setbacks that were caused by other people, but I had my own setbacks. Things that I did. Messed up. And all of a sudden, it began to to dawn on me, you know what? Uh, I'm just not quite as perfect as I thought I was. (laughs) But you know what else it did? It helped me have a great level of compassion for people that struggle. A great level of compassion. You know, when when you're in your mid to late thirties, you got a family, beautiful family, fabulous wife, kids, and you're trying to decide, is it worth living? That's a tough sell, isn't it? That's a tough moment. But it taught me, I'm not indestructible. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes like everybody else. And God just birthed in me a greater compassion for people to make a greater impact in this world. And that's what God does. He takes our setbacks and he says, I'm, I'm going to use them as a comeback so you can make an impact. And so God has called us to make that kind of impact. We have motivation to, to leave behind what is behind We see that in Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. It says we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the pain and agony of the cross. You see, Jesus looked ahead in time to say, hey, I'm going to endure this cross because I'm looking ahead to the people who are going to receive salvation and their eternal destiny is going to be transitioned and changed from death to life, from separation to connection, He says, I will go through this pain so that that impact can be made. And God's calling us to do the same thing. He's saying, I am calling you and appointing you and anointing you to make an impact. And just because you've had a setback, it only makes your impact that much more powerful. Because he says, now you're ready. You've been through the storm. You've been through the difficulty. You know the frailties of people's lives. And instead of being judgmental toward people now... I've made you compassionate toward people. I've made you more understanding so that God intersects your life with other people's lives. You've already been through the setback. They're going through it right now. And the Bible tells us that we are to minister to people with the same grace that was ministered to us when we were having a problem. The same thing we received, now we give to make an impact in people's lives. He anoints us with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that God wants us to encounter him in these moments. We're dealing with setbacks, and God says, I want you to encounter me in that moment. I want to bring the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing some, but I, want to, I don't want to lose focus right here because we're going to talk about the three encounters that the apostle Peter had with Jesus after his resurrection. You remember the last, the last thing that happens between Jesus And Peter. It wasn't recorded here, but it's recorded in another gospel. The last thing that happens, Peter denies Jesus three times, the rooster crows, and in one of the gospels it says Jesus turned and looked at Peter and they saw each other in that moment. That's the last thing. And then Jesus goes to the cross, then he goes to the grave. And then it's Easter Sunday morning and it's resurrection. The women go to the tomb first and they, they say, man, the stone's empty. It's, he's, he's, he's alive, I guess. They're kind of bewildered. And then Jesus meets them right outside of the tomb. And the, and the women come back and go, he's alive. Jesus is alive. What happens, Peter and John? What do they do? Make a beeline for the tomb. And they go inside the tomb. They see there's cloth there. There's, it's empty. Maybe what they're saying is true. I don't know. And it's the next day on that Monday that Jesus walks into the room where the disciples are at. Now, Judas is gone, and it was Thomas who wasn't in the room that day. So there's 10 disciples, Peter being one of them. And Jesus appears to them, and he speaks to them. And there's not a lot recorded about what was said, but they, they I mean, it's like, dude, you really are alive. But there's no moment where Peter and Jesus connect. And it was uh, several days later, I guess, when Jesus appears to the disciples again, and this time Thomas is in the room. And that's when Jesus says, Thomas, hey, come here, feel, feel. See that? See the scar? Feel it. Put your hand right here. I want you to touch me because I want you to know it's me. I'm alive. Peter's in the room too, but there's no connection. There's, a, there's an encounter, but there's no real connection. The third time that Jesus appears before his disciples is when the disciples were fishing and Jesus is on the seashore. And so I don't know how much distance there was, but they didn't recognize Jesus, though they had seen him twice resurrected, but they didn't recognize him, so there's a little distance. And he says, hey, you caught any fish? They said, no, man, we don't have any fish. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. They did. And the Bible says there was over 150 large fish. And they were amazed that the net wasn't breaking. So this is miraculous. And guess what happens? Peter's going like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I remember this. This happened before. And that's when he goes, that's Jesus. That's Jesus on the shore. You know what Peter did? He jumped in the water and go, dude, I'm getting to him as fast as I can. Now, I'm going to give you a, a possibility. This is a possibility. Why didn't Jesus just go, guys, we need to start rowing? He jumped in. He's like, I'm getting to him fast. And he was the first one to get to Jesus. The boat wasn't far behind him. Now, I'm telling you, this is a possibility that Peter said, you know what? I've had two encounters with Jesus but I still feel like dirt because I rejected him and I denied him and I got to get this taken care of and I'm not going to wait on the boat. I'm getting to him as fast as I can. You ever had those times when you were in a worship service, man, the Holy Spirit's moving with great power and you're like, yes, this is awesome. This is great but in that moment when you could go and be set free in that moment when you could step out and go, God, I, 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 here I am. I want it. I want a restoration. The encounter's great, but I want a restoration, but you let it pass by. I'm wondering if that's what happened with Peter. He'd had two encounters, but not a restoration. And I think Peter was just going like, it ain't happening again. Because it was in that moment when they're on the shore, when Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says it three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yeah, yeah, I love you. Feed my lambs. See, he was saying, he was restoring three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds three times. And then Jesus says, make an impact feed my sheep feed my lambs make an impact you know if we're going to make an impact not only do we need an encounter with god but we need restoration we need restoration and maybe you're in that situation today where you're going like you know what i'm not letting this moment pass me by i'm not going to let this moment pass me by i want not only an encounter with god i want restoration Amen.